0: Blog Talk Radio
1: 2014 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, the philosophy that upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. And that's the thing that the framers of our country's founding documents intended for us to have. I'm your host, Amy Peekoff, and joining me soon, but currently I guess going to Starbucks, yay, is cartoonist Bosch Faustin. Uh, yes, those of you who have been following us know that it is the end of the Whole30 and so that I am going to enjoy a heavy cream latte today for the first time in a month. So I'm looking forward to that. I mean, who knows? I don't know. I'm going to taste this thing. It's going to taste weird and horrible. Anyway, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to have calories and it's going to have caffeine, which I think is going to be a big help to me today. If you looked over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com, you saw that today... We are going to be talking about uh, Lavabit. Lavabit is, or was, Edward Snowden's email service provider. And this week they have had their day in court, so to speak. Although if you listen to the hearing, maybe you think that they, they didn't really have their day in court yet. But they appeared before the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals this week. And it's a contempt of court case against LavaBit. Some of you may have heard about the case in which the government went to LavaBit and said, we want information about Edward Snowden's account with your company. And LavaBit was trying to figure out how to provide that without compromising the privacy of all of LavaBit's users. And I guess was having a difficult time doing that. There's some things that I'm not clear about with respect to the case. In any event, they ended up being held in contempt of court after a while and LavaBit is on appeal. So I'm going to talk to you about that case. I listened to 50 minutes, 5-0, worth of court argument. And if you want to, you can do it as well. Again, go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. I have, as one of the first links under the program notes, the audio that the court releases. That's courtesy of Ladar Levison, who posted it on Facebook. So thanks to him for posting that. It was really fascinating for me to listen to. I thought it was going to be harder to listen to. I'm so used to watching things on video these days. I'd like to see the judges and see the attorneys, but it was actually not as unclear in listening as I I thought it would be. The other thing I would like to do is read all of the briefs and everything else. We want to know more information information. A lot of the information in this case is sealed, so it's kind of confusing. Anyway, if you want to talk about that case or if you would like to talk about other of the topics that I have listed there on the program notes for today, you can join me live over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio or you can call 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. So let me go ahead and Try to jump in. And again, I'm a legal geek, right? I'm a philosopher. I am also a lawyer. And I have immersed myself in privacy issues for a very long time. I've actually taught an information privacy law class, but I'm not necessarily a legal statutory doctrinal person as much as I am a theoretical person. But there's some things that we definitely need to talk about on the law side of this as well. You know, this case my impression of it is that the issues the issues that we find important in this case in terms of what should the government's limits be with respect to requesting data from service providers who want to keep their you know their customers information private, you know what should those limits be? I don't think that those issues are necessarily well posed in this case for a variety of reasons that were apparent in the court hearing and i'm not sure whether the judges are going to end up taking big issues as being well posed you know so for example if you see under the one link that i have again go to my blog don't let it i have program notes there the first link is to the audio from the court the second link is to one of only two articles that i've seen covering this case and this was again posted this morning like by Ladar Levison the Russian Times covered this no there you know New York Times didn't cover this Washington Post didn't cover this but the Russian Times has this article it says the future of the internet could depend on lava bit appeal now I don't think that's quite true because I'm not even sure that the judges are going to adjudicate issues on which the internet could depend i think they they might end up sticking solely to some procedural issues and basically saying that those other issues weren't well posed i just got a text saying that Bosch is going to be a little while with those lattes so in any event i'm going to be talking about a legal case here for a while so we'll we'll see how he does but my you know my point is i'm not sure that this particular case affects the future of the entire Internet. I would say the future of the Internet might depend more on the ability to provide certain types of technology that Lidar Levinson and Lavabit are trying to provide, uh, in particular through this Dark Mail initiative. There's there's another company that I've discussed on News Sandwich recently called Anchor Free that is providing anonymous Internet browsing. You know, if you, you know why, why would the future of the Internet depend on certain issues like this being adjudicated? It would depend on it because people might say, look, I don't want to partake in email over the Internet or browsing over the Internet or purchasing things on the Internet if certain levels of privacy aren't provided to me. And if those levels of privacy are things that the government has – made illegal, which is possible that it might do that, uh, but I don't think it necessarily has done that. In certain contexts, I think we're in trouble. And I think I've said this a million times, we got to get rid of the third party doctrine. We'll talk more about that. But um, I think that the ability to provide certain types of technology, in particular, what they're now calling end to end encryption, could be crucial for many people being willing to do a lot of things on the Internet. So we'll have to see how all of that plays out. But let me go ahead and get into the case itself. And I made a bunch of notes. Again, the hearing is about 50 minutes long, and that's very typical. There's 20 minutes that's provided to one attorney, And they go back and forth with the judge. And, yes, the judge can eat up your time. The judge might interrupt you, and he might talk over you and things like that. But normally, judges are pretty good in letting you be able to state your case. It's not the whole case. The case is in the briefs. The judges are supposed to read the briefs, so it's not like the judge is supposed to get the entire story from this 20-minute oral argument. But one side, and in this case, uh, Levison's attorney started and had 20 minutes And then they went ahead and had 20 minutes with the government attorney. And then they gave, I believe, eight minutes to Levison's attorney to rebut. And then they go ahead and they have to meet amongst themselves, the three three judge panel. And they'll come out with an opinion. I gather it's going to be in a few weeks. I don't know exactly what the timeline is for that court. But I think that's what I heard from Levison himself. I'm still planning on interviewing him next Friday on this show, starting at 1 p.m. Pacific time, which is 4 p.m. Eastern time. And I'm hoping he's still going to be able and willing to do that. I understand the the case is in a really tricky situation right now. And I, if I was him, yeah, I'd be definitely discouraged in a way by how the hearing went because it was focusing so much on the procedural issues. And I think at least one judge in particular was not really giving him a fair shake so let's go ahead and dive in and talk about it but i look forward to speaking with him and i'm really look forward to seeing what are the potentials for darkmail now first of all let me just give you an idea of what i understand lavabit to have been providing to its customers and you know it's difficult when you think about okay well what is you know encrypted email service how does it work And the way I understood it is this, and and, and this is from a government standpoint too, right? Because this is the idea. If you are not an anarchist, if you believe that the government should be the objective arbiter if there is someone who's accused of a crime, if there are disputes that need to be worked out between people, right? If you're going to have a government that is going to prosecute criminals be the objective arbiter for legal disputes and all these things. The government is going to have to be able to compel evidence. Yes, get people to give the evidence against their will, right? And this has traditionally been the case. Let's think of physical analogies. So, for example, if you are a roommate of a person in an apartment or a home, government comes there, you could give the people permission, the government permission to come into the home because you already have, you know, use of the home. You could let them look around and get information there. Um, if the government came to you with a search warrant, of course, you would have to let them in and do it. And you'd have access, of course, could you have the key to the place. You're the roommate. And so then they could come in and look around for evidence against your roommate. Uh, if you're a landlord, Right. If you're a landlord and you own an apartment building and there's someone in your apartment who has been accused of a crime, if the government comes to you, the landlord, with a warrant and says, we have the legal right to get into this apartment, you know, here it is, he's accused of this crime and the judge signed off on it and everything else, you're supposed to open the apartment and let them in. Now, typically... Right. I mean, suppose you're going to give the government the key. You're not going to let them in yourself. You're not going to physically do it. Maybe it's dangerous for you to do it. You say, "Okay, here, SWAT team. You can have the key, but I'm not going to go up there. Typically, you would be able to give somebody an apartment key that would open only that apartment. Right. You're not going to give the police the skeleton key to the whole apartment building, for example. You know what skeleton keys are. Right. Mostly those are in workplaces where one key a master key is going to get into all the rooms in a building, for example, an office building. Those things exist, right? But it is possible to hand over a key, a physical key to a room that will get somebody into only one room and not the entire building. But as I understand what Lavabit did, Lavabit had an email service with an encryption key that applied to all of Lavabit's users so that if LavaBit was to give over the encryption key so that it could decrypt presumably Edward Snowden's email. Again, they don't talk about this in the hearing. They say, you know, one user, the target, blah, blah, blah. But everybody seems to know that it was Edward Snowden that they were looking for. They can't just give the key over and have the government get only that information. They'd be able to get everyone's information. Okay, The way the service was set up, it was as if It's a landlord in an apartment building. And the only way he could give access to a single apartment for the government to do a search is to give a skeleton key or a master key that would open all the apartments in the apartment building. Not ideal, right? Definitely not ideal. And one thing that Levison's attorney said in the hearing was that it was possible for Levison to give the government what it was seeking without compromising all of the user's privacy. Namely, the government wanted real-time, unencrypted data. I don't know technologically how Levison would accomplish this exactly. Uh, He is basically, I guess, supposed to write a software program that would decrypt the data in real time as it was, coming in as it was processed through the server. I don't know at what point the data is encrypted and then when it has to be decrypted, but the point is is that the government would install what it's called a pen register. Pen register is an old term. Uh, today, I think pen register is done only by analogy. A pen register used to be the sort of thing that you would attach to a phone line, and it would record all the numbers that were dialed and the time and stuff that they were dialed. It would just basically you know, record the numbers, the so-called metadata about phone calls, what numbers were dialed and when and all that kind of thing. The pen registers today, it, it, they, they're called pen registers by analogy, but it also applies to email. So you would get email metadata via a so-called pen register. And I guess the government wanted to get the metadata, who was Edward Snowden emailing. I think in one place I read that it was the, you know, the journalist contacts that he was emailing. They wanted to get all these people. So in any event, what supposedly they could do is decrypt the data before it hits the pen register, and then the government would be able to get that data that it was seeking without compromising the privacy of all of other LavaBits users. The question is, you know could he provide that? I was actually skeptical whether you could really do it. Um, how quickly could it do it? At what point did he actually offer to do exactly that thing for the government, and then at a certain point, they refused? The issues get really crazy. so here's my understanding of the timeline as it went on. Uh, what the government did is come to him at a certain point, I think june twenty eighth with an order to have a pen register that would give them unencrypted data. And I think there was some confusion about whether they were going to get encrypted versus unencrypted data. And then Levison, I gather, was confused about how to provide what they wanted without compromising the, you know, the privacy of the rest of his users. He was figuring out if he could do it, I guess, how long it would take. I think at one point he had offered to provide, data where he would download the data and then unencrypt it and then give it to them but i guess they didn't like it maybe they didn't like the time frame on which he was going to give it to them you know this is the thing right he is a third-party service provider and as i understand it he did not collect or download everybody's user data as part of the service. I think things just kind of passed through his servers. So in order to do this, he would have to actually, I think, download it, unencrypt it, give it to them. And so he was working this out. I think he also didn't really know what his legal rights were. I don't know Levison. I just recently started having any communication with him at all. Uh, He may have wanted to help. Snowden in a certain way. I don't know that. I don't know if he's any any contact with Snowden. I don't know anything about what his connection is with Snowden. For me personally, I would be sympathetic with somebody wanting to provide any kind of cover for Snowden. I think what Snowden has done is good. That's my personal opinion. I don't think the same thing about Snowden's so-called predecessors over at WikiLeaks and other places. I think that they had a very different sort of agenda that I don't like. And, you know, again, there's there's people in this movement, the pro-Snowden movement, with whom I strongly disagree. Um, there's a lot of people who are, you know, anti war entirely, you know, their total isolationists a La Ron Paul and things like that. I am not that person. Um I'm also not the person who says that the government shouldn't be able to compel information about somebody who has committed a crime. Nonetheless, I say that I am sympathetic in this case with somebody who would want to, perhaps at a risk to his own being held in contempt of court or anything else, you know, go ahead and resist the orders, I don't know. But I don't know that that is at all Levison's, uh, you know, motive. As far as I know, he was trying to figure out, you know, he, he had a service that didn't typically download everybody's data. He would have to separately download it and decrypt it and then provide it to the government in order to preserve the privacy of his other customers. And I think that's what he wanted to do. I guess at this point, the technology leaves you in the position where someone like Levison would be uh, the equivalent of a landlord, a landlord in an apartment building, and the only way he could provide access to a particular apartment for the government would be to give a skeleton key, a master key that goes for all of the tenants and maybe that i mean that's just kind of unacceptable to everybody you know you do do you trust the government if it's given that skeleton key so to speak that it's going to not abuse it that it's going to go into only the one apartment and not search everybody else's apartment a lot of people these days are very distrustful of the government and there's a variety of very good reasons for that one of which is that they're bulk collecting all of our metadata um and they shouldn't be doing that. Another reason is that they lie to us. Yeah, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. Ha, ha, ha. You can keep your plan when I say you can keep your plan. Well, this week you can keep your plan, but next week you may not be able to. It, our government right now is just a big mess, and both parties are horrible and everything else. So I understand when people say, I don't trust the government. I don't want the government to have that skeleton key uh, to everybody's data. So then the question is, what sort of encryption options exist so that when the government goes to the third party, even with a search warrant to target a particular individual, how can we make sure that the government is going to get access to only that particular individual's correspondence or metadata or whatever it is that the government is entitled to, pursuant to it's search warrant. That's that's really the big problem that's going on right now. Do we have a latte here?
0: No, um...
1: no. No cover. No cover. So I'm going to burn my hands on my little latte. Okay, here we go, baby. This is the uh, first sip of a latte that I've had in a month. This is a heavy cream, short, Single shot latte from Starbucks, and let me see if 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 I keel over and die, you know, you know that it was the dairy and the whole thirty that was doing me the good thing, right? What what do you think, Bosh? Did you have it? Oh, he's oh, he's I think he's putting sugar in his. duh it's terrible. Mm. Yeah, I think I'll like that. Now the question is, am I going to be able to drink it, or I'm going to be talking so fast the whole time I'm going to forget to take a sip? We will see how it goes. I'm going to do a little Marco Rubio during this show if you don't mind which means i'm going to take a sip of my latte you won't be able to see it though so it won't it won't look as cheesy it's just going to sound kind of bad delicious. it's gonna be bad radio what do you think bosh uh
0: less than half of the sweet one, delicious
1: yeah so whoa oh that didn't sound good at all what was that we don't, don't want to know, know about it. okay that sounded terrible Anything? Okay, so I'm just supposed to keep on, and I'm supposed to ignore ignore what's going on behind the curtain, as they say in Wizard of Oz. Okay, so here we go. So as I said, and I'm hoping Bosch is going to listen here. So LavaBit is analogous to a landlord who can provide government access to a particular apartment only via a master key that would give everybody access to everybody else's. Apartment give the government access to everybody else's apartment. And really, I think the solution is the solution that Levison and others are trying to pursue through the Dark Mail Initiative. I look forward to learning a lot more next week when Levison is supposed to be interviewed on this show about it. But it's promising end-to-end encryption, which means that you yourself have, in you know, again, again the thing that's analogous to, the key to the front door of your apartment or your home. It's an individualized key that gives access to yours and so that whoever it is that has access to the individual key can give government access to only that individual's data. Now, what I don't know is whether the service provider, Darkmail, or whatever the company is that's employing the Darkmail technology, whether that person would have access to your key. So, for example, you have a car, right, right? and your car has a key with a particular key code, I gather that your car's manufacturer could provide access with a particular key to your particular car. Is it the same with dark mail? And would the government go after it that way? Typically, as far as I know, they don't do that. They'll come up to you and they'll get a warrant to search your car. It's not like they go to your car manufacturer and get it, but... You know, uh, one of the things, Bosh, I, I assume you agree with me. Tell me if you agree, that government, it's proper for the government to be able to provide a warrant and search for information against bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah.
0: Bad guys. Particularly as suspicion, as you put it. And yeah. If they this.
1: have a warrant with probable cause and particular And if someone's up right? to no
0: good, and there's a history there, and yeah, uh, but they're going after people indiscriminately
1: right and there's usually and and, you know one of the issues that I think is mixed up in this case is it's there's Snowden right Snowden supposedly has violated the espionage act although Snowden has argued as to whether the act is properly applied to him that's one of the things that he said but you know it's Snowden and whether you think he's done anything wrong nonetheless Snowden was charged with a crime
0: at commercials yeah Robert right to the last one.
1: Oh, people are annoyed at ad commercials on the side of the screen. They're drowning out my voice. This is terrible. You can't even stop those. That's pretty disgusting. Hmm. <sighs> uh C-R-A-I-G, Craig, all spaced out in the chat room, says that dark mail would have no means to access any data. See, I think that's excellent because the whole issue right now with this stupid third-party doctrine is that if a third party has data in its hands that you share with that third party during the regular course of its business, government can get access to it. And you know, this is, this is the thing that's interesting. Actually, you know what? Okay, so now I'm coming to a realization. I'm sorry, guys. I just listened to this 50 minutes of court proceeding this morning, and I've been thinking about the case this morning, but you're getting a lot of fresh well, you can't uh, think we, thoughts.
0: Yeah, you, you can't think we're listening to that kind of crap either.
1: So, no, it, uh, wasn't, it wasn't too bad. It, it well, wasn't like listening to Obama. Oh,
0: no, that's true. No, Well, it was, nothing's as bad
1: as listening it to Obama. Was, it was so much better. It occurred to me, so if, if, if uh, Levison was talking about having to download – the data and then decrypt it for the government, what I 'm gathering is that Lavabit made a point of never storing anything on its servers like it, it wouldn't store the data as a regular part of doing business Once you store someone's data as a regular part of you doing business, even for any period of time, then you're toast
0: he's right I mean he's right, state defiance it's a racist name, dark mill it's absolutely racist.
1: <laughs> they define no. it brings up
0: what about Al Sharpton, just Jackson, Darkman? Come on. I mean,
1: okay, well, they're going to go
0: after dark mail. We,
1: we can go a little more philosophical here. Dark mail in terms of it's dark to the world. Yeah, the world doesn't evil, know about it's, it. It's well, the, well, it's in the shadows, in effect, right? Dark, dark.
0: I'm saying from from, from the critics. The,
1: the world going dark, as in a yeah. novel, a famous novel that we know about. Uh, the Dark Ages.
0: Did you bring up uh, the one thing that interests me and you instantly about the... Um, have yeah,
1: yeah. One. So one one thing that uh, it's just I mean, you, yeah. you don't have to mention uh, Obviously, one yeah, one thing that interests me about Levison is that he did in another interview talk about the fact of being inspired by a character in Atlas Shrugged. But we I, yeah. we'll talk about that more next week. But uh, again, I've been doing privacy issues for so long. I was interested in his oh, no case doubt. But that's as, a, as a separate issue.
0: Th- that's a big uh, red light. Like whoa, right? Yeah. But
1: but so here's here's the thing, right? Since dark mail, excuse me since dark mail since lavabit was not storing this information as a regular part of its doing business, you can't really apply the third party doctrine to them and I don't even know whether the pen register statute, so to speak applies equally to them because it's not like necessarily I need to learn this from Levison right it all it all, so much is in the details and there weren't that many details even in the whole fifty minutes of the hearing but If they did not, as a regular part of them doing business, collect this data about their customers, right? They just offered this server that encrypted it back and forth, say. Suppose that's all they did. The information just passed through. It's like a pass-through server. It's not a storing server. There's no storage, supposedly. If that's the case, and he has to separately download and do all this stuff, it is really unclear about how the law would apply to him. Moreover, Levison, was for a time not represented by counsel initially apparently he had somebody who contacted the government and said yeah i'm levison's counsel and blah 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 but then for a while he was not represented and in particular he wasn't represented at a crucial hearing that took place. So, you know, so so here's here's kind of the timeline. you going to get your headphones on. Cool. Um, here's kind of the timeline. So June 28th, they asked him for this unencrypted data stuff. He apparently and this is probably a mistake that he made. It didn't respond to them for 10 days, 11 days, something like this. And government is not very happy when you don't respond to them for 10 days or 11 days or whatever. And then he responded, but they had a phone call in which this one attorney pretended, you know, not pretended, but, you know, said he was representing him. I guess later he withdrew. And they never resolved anything. There were no promises made by Levison to supply anything. I guess he was still thinking about it. And then I guess Levison figured out a way he could probably give the government what they wanted. And he made an offer to them in an email. It was about three days before this crucial court hearing where they were going to, I guess, hold him in contempt. And, you know, again, I'm piecing this together from listening to the 50 minutes that I heard. And apparently that offer that Levison made to them was to give them what they wanted, which is real-time access to unencrypted data. He would have to go in and do the downloading programming, spit it back out again kind of stuff. I don't know exactly how he would do it. Again, I don't know the technology well enough. But one of the judges on the three-judge panel in the appellate court also recognized that Levison had, at a crucial point, three days before this other hearing, offered to give them what they wanted, which was access to unencrypted data. But then they go to the hearing. At the hearing, Levison is not represented by counsel and they move the ball they change everything the government decides it doesn't want to have levison in there writing the program and the blood they don't want to deal with him and they say well let's just install a pen register and he agrees to install a pen register i guess or maybe the judge didn't even understand the technology himself he thought oh just get him to install a pen register he does and everything's peachy keen install a pen register they put it there And the government cannot get what they want from a pen register. Why? Because the data is still encrypted. So some parts of it are unencrypted because not all of us have encrypted email servers. Some of it's encrypted. It's a bunch of gobbledygook. The government can't get the information it wants. So then I guess they put this other uh, court proceeding through whereby they are charged with a fine for contempt and all this. And I think there was very little time given To even respond to that, he didn't respond and then boom, the the fine is smacked on him. So here he is in appeal. But why is it that at that hearing, this is one thing I didn't understand. I think that he was probably treated unfairly in this regard. Why in that hearing did the court not just order Levison to do what he had offered to do? Why did they say, "We'll just install this pen register and forget about the rest of it, and then we have this other warrant for the s s l keys coming down too. They 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 just they basically just gave up on him at a certain point. And I'm wondering how much of it is due to the fact that the government doesn't understand the technology that's involved. They don't understand the sort of service that LavaBit provides versus other types of service providers. I think LavaBit was probably unique and different in other respects. And they didn't know how to treat LavaBit analogously to other service providers. So there's so many moving parts in this case. But my impression is that – um, at least one of the judges wants to pretty much railroad Lavabit. One of the judges was very sympathetic to Lavabit and seems to think that, especially because, he, you know, that Lev- Levison was pro se for a period of time, that he was trying to comply, that he did at one point offer to give them exactly what they wanted. Um, I, I think that maybe he has a chance. Now, whether that judge who was sympathetic and seems to understand what was going on can convince the other judges when they have their conference. I don't know because this one judge, I believe it's the guy Niemeyer. He he seemed from the beginning to think, okay, look, LavaBit could have just easily given them what they wanted. Why didn't they just comply right away? And yep, they're in contempt, and that's all there is to it. And pay the fine, damn it, and you know that that's the end of it. But I definitely don't think that that's the case. Uh, what I do think is that in the type of system that he set up, it's, it's defective in a, in a certain way. If you think about what our government's going to do today, that the government can come and give you a warrant to get access to one user's data, you should be able to give the government access to one user's data without giving up everybody else's data. Um, Daniel in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio is educating me about technology. He says there's no such thing as a server that processes but does not not store it. Even if only for a split second, the data being moved exists in the machine's RAM. I mean, that would make sense. That would make sense. But then if the idea is that it stores it for only the split second and then it dumps it, perhaps because it also needs the space to keep – processing all the traffic that goes through it, it would still not be part of the normal course of LavaBit doing business to store the data for any significant period of time. Maybe. This is what I'm hypothesizing. And this is what really does explain, you know, Levison's difficulty in, you know, complying right away with the order. He had to figure out how to do this. This is not part of his normal course of doing business. Also, I don't, again, think that the pen register statute which is something that's legal through the third party doctrine again it was passed in light of the third party doctrine smith versus maryland that case from the 1970s pen register statute came after that it's legal pursuant to that i don't know whether it applies to someone like levison who you know literally as a normal part of doing business doesn't ever store anything certainly not in unencrypted form it's a it's a whole different world. So I'm hoping I got the technology part of it right. And, and if Levison listens to this and or if not, I'll try to you know reiterate it next week and he can tell me whether I got it right. And then that would make entire sense. As I said, I, you know, I have no idea what was going on in the background, what his motives were. I do know that he was having a tough time because he wasn't getting adequate legal representation. He had an attorney who was representative and then withdrew and then some another attorney who sounded quite good in the hearing who was picking up the pieces there. But uh, maybe that attorney could have explained the technological issues a little bit more effectively during the hearing. I think that would be my only critique because I was myself a little bit confused and just I'm just trying to piece it together. But one thing I want to talk about is this so-called pen register statute and that was the first thing that LavaBit was presented with was an order pursuant to the pen register statute, and I've got my handy-dandy information privacy law textbook here written by privacy gurus Daniel Solove and Peter Schwartz, excuse me, not Peter Schwartz, Paul Schwartz. Peter Schwartz is an objectivist who does some good work, so I'm confused here, but if you look up the pen register statute, you want to can you hold that for a second? I'm sorry. I got, uh, <laughs> this is sausage. I've got a laptop in one hand and a privacy law textbook in the other hand. But the Pen Register Act is 18 USC sections 3121 to 3127. And in effect, what the statute requires is that the government obtain a court order to get a pen register. So you do have to get a court order. But it's not the same as getting a search warrant. And certainly, you do not have to have probable cause and particularized suspicion in order to get it. All you have to do is you have to have the court certify that the use of the pen register, and again, the pen register collects in real time metadata. It collects metadata in real time from a user's account. All they have to do is show that the pen register is, quote, relevant to an ongoing investigation, end quote just that it's relevant, relevant to an ongoing investigation. Relevant is such a loose term. I mean, we don't even know if it's Snowden's email service provider. Maybe it was a friend of Snowden. So looking at this person's email unencrypted is relevant. Who knows? But the standard, as Solove and Schwartz note, is significantly less stringent than the probable cause required to obtain a Fourth Amendment warrant. And again, that is possible. The Pen Register statute is possible only because of the third party doctrine. The Penn Register statute came about because in Smith versus Maryland they didn't have a warrant, they didn't have garbage, they didn't have crap in Smith versus Maryland. And they said, oh it doesn't violate the Fourth Amendment. And so people of course got upset and said, well at least you could pass a statute giving us some protection. And then they pass the statute and they give you some protection. The way that it stands right now, if the Fourth Amendment doesn't apply, All the privacy that you have is by the grace of statute passed by our corrupt lawmakers in Washington. And so here they said, okay, yeah, we'll we'll give them some protection. We'll just make sure that it's relevant to an ongoing investigation, whatever the hell that means. So that's terrible. Right. And I don't know at the beginning, June 28th, whether they could have provided any more than that, just that something would be relevant to an ongoing investigation as time went on they were able to provide a search warrant equivalent they had a warrant at the end i guess to get the ssl keys they said on the warrant of course that they would look at only snowden's account and if the government has a warrant and they say we're going to go into a certain place and we're going to search for certain particular things if the government does search for other things yes you can you know object and you can have all sorts of legal recourse against the government if They don't act within the bounds of a proper search warrant. But, you know, this is the thing. The third-party doctrine I don't think would have, or, you know, eliminating the third-party doctrine would not have really helped Lidar Levison in this case. I, I, you know, it may have helped at the very beginning. They couldn't have done the pen register thing. They would have gone, had to go, you know, go straight to an actual search warrant. Eliminating the third-party doctrine is good. It would get rid of bulk metadata collection. It would make it so that every time the government did want to get particular information about a person, they would have to get a warrant based on probable cause, based on particularized suspicion. But in this particular case, uh, it would not have helped. And really the big issue is the fact that he was having a hard time figuring out how to comply with the information request, either via Pen register order or later via warrant. How could he comply with that without compromising the privacy of the rest of his users' data? That's that's really the big issue. Now, uh, Daniel says he's no lawyer in there. Okay, oh, because he's educating me about the technology, right? But at the at the same time, I think we can, you know, again, we'll have to ask Levison more about the technology, but I think that really must be what's going on is that he had a unique service that did not store the information for any significant period of time. And that's what I would do. I am a service provider for people who to whom I want to give privacy. I would store information for as short a time as possible and store as little information as possible to give them the service that they need so that Their privacy could be preserved in today's legal climate. So first thing really is we've got to get rid of that third-party doctrine. Got to get rid of that third-party doctrine so that every time a particular user's information is queried by the government, it's got to be done through a warrant. Probable cause particularized suspicion. We need to get rid of this garbage, you know, that our legislators in Congress, well, you know, I mean, even Rand Paul, I want to know that he actually believes that before the government can collect metadata, that they should be able to have probable cause and particularized suspicion. That's what I think someone like him, who's on the libertarian axis, so to speak, that's really what he should want. And we're going to know that soon. I think his Lawsuit should be filed soon. You haven't heard any news, Bosch, of Rand Paul's lawsuit being filed. If anybody has heard any news of Rand Paul's class action lawsuit against the NSA being filed, I would love to read the complaint. I want to read it. Again, on Tuesday when we were guest hosting for Tammy Bruce, thanks again to Tammy for having us again on Tuesday, I was looking on his website. He has one particular page of his website for the class action lawsuit. And all it has still to this day is just – sign up. Well, still as of Tuesday, this day, maybe it's different, but, you know, sign up, put your email address in. And I think your zip code or something, you know, very little data. And they want you to sign on the list without them showing you a theory of the case, maybe a copy of the complaint they intend to file, whatever. I want to read. I want to read that complaint. I want to know what he's asking for. I want to know what's behind all the bravado on privacy from from Rand Paul I want to see. But you know again so I don't, I don't know there's I think there's people who would be listening to me right now who won't necessarily agree with everything that I want to say because I do think that if you're going to provide a service that's going to give privacy to people that you have to know that if a government's going to come to you with a warrant To get information about a particular person, that you are going to be asked to help get that information about that particular person, and obviously you're going to want to do it without compromising the privacy of all your other customers. I don't know if Lavabit's customers understood that they were in in a you know in effect, in analogy, they were living in an apartment building where the landlord had only a skeleton key that would get into all the apartments. He didn't have keys for the individual apartments. And if the landlord is supposed to, by law, have access to apartments, yeah. right? Um, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot, a lot of options. Again, maybe what we can be provided with end-to-end encryption is the equivalent of a home, a separate home, where there is no landlord who, by law, is supposed to also have access to the premises That instead, only the owner of the premises has it. And similarly, if you have end-to-end encryption, only you, the user, or the people to whom you send the email would have access to the messages. So if the government wanted access, they have to come knocking on your door, or the equivalent. They have to come knocking on your door and get you to let them in. That's
0: good knowledge.
1: Yeah. And I don't see why that shouldn't be the case. I mean, this is one thing I strongly believe is that end-to-end encryption should be legal. <laughs> uh, I could see the government trying to challenge it, but I have no question that it should be legal. We should be able to have the Internet equivalent of little private homes and et cetera. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to have that. If technologically that's never existed before, that's kind of a problem because, I, again, I do believe – Unless you're an anarchist, government needs to be able to compel the production of evidence against criminals. You and I may not believe Snowden is a criminal, but all of the attorneys and everything, they're acting according to lawful orders, lawful warrants, etc. Levison, if he wants to comply with those, and again, I'm sympathetic either way. Uh, If he wants to comply with those, he was trying to do it in a way that would not compromise the privacy of his other customers. And that's laudable, but it seems like you'd have to make the government very clear on what was involved in doing that a lot sooner in the timeline than he did. That's just kind of my impression. But where does it stand now? We'll know in a few weeks. Again, I think one of the judges was very sympathetic to him. Uh, One of the other judges was not at all sympathetic to him. And I don't know really about the third judge. I remember listening in depth to only two judges, one who seemed very sympathetic, one who seemed not. Did that make it pretty clear? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You know, on a kind of a broader theoretical issue i mean everybody knows privacy is governed by this so-called reasonable expectation of privacy doctrine this is a test a legal test that comes from a supreme court case again from the 1970s cats versus united states or united states versus cats i forget which sure. but the reasonable expectation of privacy embodies a pragmatist approach to the issue of privacy and excuse me that um I'm still suffering from a cold a bit, so I'm making all kinds of horrible sounds. Uh, that pragmatist approach got its start in a, a case called Olmstead versus United States in the 1920s, late 1920s. There was a dissent by Justice Brandeis where he wanted to bring in this idea that whether you are entitled to privacy protection under the Fourth Amendment, whether you're entitled to that should not depend on whether the government trespasses on particular property and things like that. And so they said basically that, you know, the mere fact of invading privacy alone should be the issue. It's not how they do it. He he. Want you know, Brandeis just wanted to provide privacy protection somehow. However, the government got a hold of this information, this private information, it's wrong, we don't want to really focus on the details. Was there a trespass? was there not a trespass? Did the government have a right to be there? Did it not? No, let's not worry about that. let's just say he needs privacy protection Now. I actually think the entire case, the majority in that case, analyzed it wrong. I think there was a trespass that you could point to, but this is beside the point and you can read it in my other works. The point is is that from Olmstead all the way up to the present, we gradually crept towards this reasonable expectation of privacy, and all it requires is that you have an expectation of privacy, you actually expect privacy, and that expectation has to be reasonable, which means the government thinks, you know, society is prepared, as they say, society is prepared to recognize that expectation as reasonable. Who gets to decide whether society is prepared to recognize that expectation as reasonable? The government, a.k.a. the judge, reasonable expectation of privacy, not whether there's a trespass, you own the property, not whether there's this person has keys and blah, blah, nothing. No, no, no. And, you know, that's how the third party doctrine came in. That's how the third party doctrine came to be applied to your phone records. Right. You share the information with the phone company. You're not reasonable if you think you have privacy and the information you share with the phone company. Ah, Snowden, you shared that information with Lavabit. You're not reasonable. Um, This is the kind of thing that they talk about. And I think what this case and what this technology is, you know, it's so funny. It's technology that kind of made them want to grow away from the idea of pointing to what's physically going on. But now as technology is progressing further, I think it's more important to point to what's physically going on, and to make analogies to help us understand it where need be, that's fine, make physical analogies. But, you know, here we are. In order to understand this case, you've gotta understand what's within the proper function of government, what kind of service it is that Lavabit provides, what sort of privacy protection LavaBit provides its users, whether LavaBit is even able to grant access to one user's information without granting access to all of them. If so, how can it do that? The physical elements of what's going on and where the information is stored and processed and what's happening is very, very, very important. And I think this shows the entire bankruptcy of a pragmatist approach to Privacy. So, yeah, again, it's ironic. It was technological progress that pushed the courts to go more towards a pragmatist understanding of privacy. But as we go further and further with the technology, we see that a pragmatist understanding of privacy is totally inadequate, unless, of course, you like a dictatorship government that can just do whatever it feels like whenever it wants, which is what we're creeping towards oh, with wow. respect to the NSA I don't know. Another thing, though. Well, as long as you have nothing to hide, why do you care if the government stores all your metadata about everything you do all day long, every day for the last five years? Why do you care? What do you have to hide? You know? Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm going on with the diatribe. but you can call 7608885817. I see Robert NYC is here in the chat room, bla uh, he's just uh, bragging. He rocked his whole 30, still no dairy. Here I am drinking a little bit of dairy. I
0: might, I might join you. Um, I still had coffee this morning with uh, butter and a little sugar. It wasn't great. I just had this latte with a little sugar. It wasn't great. I think I might do away with it. Um, I've been able to drink coffee without without sugar for a month, and I've, I've accepted it. It's been fine. So I think I might just, just forego the sugar.
1: You know, I, I really do like this. This is going to sound really strange, though. And it is that as I'm sipping this, I get the slight sense of numbness, hmm. a little bit of numbness Interesting. in my mouth, a little bit in my throat. Could dairy make you feel?
0: <laughs> that know. is weird. Matt Anyone? says coffee is best black. I've tried it. It's like it's like black water. Black, my mother drank water. black
1: coffee. I, I have no I idea know. how she did it. I mean, actually, I, I start just, I start to understand how she did it. I mean, I was. She ran out of stuff. My in the first house.
0: time having uh well, yeah. Yeah, Jonathan has Bosch puts butter in his coffee. We've been actually putting butter in the coffee for the last month, Jonathan. And uh it's pretty damn good. Especially when you put it through the blender. It has a nice foamy top. It's like pastured
1: uh, unsalted butter. It's like I blended, it. it's awesome. It
0: tastes it it's, tastes it's great. I
1: actually it's better than this. I, I oh, like yeah. it better than this.
0: I don't think we're gonna do that anymore. I mean yeah. I I, I, th-
1: I think this is the last
0: please. one. I think finish this.
1: Cheers. Cheers. Last one. Here Goodbye. we go. Goodbye. <laughs>
0: You know, I had a good run, but,
1: uh, you know, but definitely people what, what, here, here in the chat room, what do you, what do you think of love of it? Right? So here's this guy. He's held in contempt of court. He's being fined a whole ton. As far as I know, you know, again, my analysis just based on listening to 50 minutes of this, reading what I can about it is that he is not being treated fairly, uh, you know, even though I think, okay, maybe he could have communicated a little bit better than the government, he was maybe figuring out. He's like, what is this order? Is it something I, I want to comply with? But also, he, um, he
0: understands government's coming after us. And if, if he understands Atlas Shrugged, which mm-hmm. he seems to understand Atlas Shrugged, he seems to have read it, he knows this is a time where we've got to be very careful here. So I think he probably was considering certain things because, you know, he knows the guns are pointed at him. So I don't blame them for being, uh, you know, for thinking things through and trying to be cautious about it. You know, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's not a time where I guess he felt confident enough to say, you know, you go to hell, government. And, and that's that. It's not going to happen. Right. You know, because they won't. They, they won't well, come after him.
1: and I mean, here's the thing. You can't just say go to hell if you're going to live here in the United States and stuff. The government is going to come after you and find you.
0: Even if we have a, you know, even if we have a, a, a small government.
1: But, well, as, like you know, fr- as my understanding of the case is that he acted in a way completely equivalent with somebody who provided this kind of unique service where they didn't store the information. He um, was confused about how to give the government what it was asking for and what, by law, it was entitled to without compromising the privacy of everybody else and or – I think he may have been honestly confused about whether the pen register statute would apply to him the same it would as apply to everybody else. Because also with, maybe he doesn't store information or he didn't store information the way everybody else did.
0: But also today, uh, the laws keep changing. Obama regulations, new laws, new rules, thousands and thousands since he's been president. People can get caught up for doing nothing. And he probably considered that as well this is not a time where we're actually there's uh, the rule of law. We're not in the rule of law time where the rule of Obama and Holder and all these rats. And that's why I mean, like I said, say that well, you know, I would tell the government to go to hell and others would as well, you know. But uh, I think he um clearly he's that's not his expertise. You know, he doesn't know maybe the, the law and especially but again, especially right now, we don't know where the hell we're going legally right now. Right. We're entering a whole a brave new world, right?
1: Again, I think that the third-party doctrine should be eliminated, which would remove a lot of these issues for everybody. But barring that, uh, nonetheless, I, I think that Levison is, and, and Robert here in the chat room is saying he believes that Levison's is probably being railroaded as well.
0: Daniel brings up this point, uh, and it's true. He says, I love how the media keeps pointing out uh, to, to Ted Cruz repeatedly that the number of executive orders issued by Obama has been less than Bush. Now, Obama has three years left. The right. school record he has three years left, and also the nature of the executive orders is the problem, the nature of them. This guy is trying to do legislation. He's trying to really flip us. He's you know, fundamentally transform America. And In the past, uh, executive orders were usually for budgetary concerns and you know, minor things. Usually, that's the case. Uh, this is a different beast here. This guy is using it as a weapon. That's why I call it a wet pen. You know, I, I got a pen, and Ted Cruz says something the other day, well, I think you need an eraser, yeah.
1: It's,
0: it's a good line. Yeah.
1: I like that yeah. one. I definitely like that. One. And we are we are going to talk about Ted Cruz in a, in a little bit here. But in a few minutes, I'm going to be joined by Arthur Zay. He is what is known as a partner engineer at Twitter. We'll have to ask him exactly what that title entails. But he is going to tell us about his experience, a recent encounter he had with the right. TSA that I think will probably horrify you sufficiently. So if you aren't sufficiently horrified with the way that Ladar Levison of LavaBit, again, Snowden's email service provider, has been treated recently by the justice system, I think you'll be pretty horrified about... Also,
0: just to add to this, the way uh, that, uh, this story, uh, Alec Al Baldwin, did you hear about that?
1: Mm-mm. They
0: looked at his infant, his baby. They took the baby aside to check the baby at the TSA.
1: Are you serious? Yes,
0: literally, he was pissed off. He tweeted about it. Uh, this is where we are, uh, in, in their desire to not look at Muslims, who are 99.9% likely going to be you know, terrorists. They're looking at everything and everyone, babies, old people. I mean, it's just, oh, man.
1: And, and remember, again, I'm scheduled to interview Ladar Levison next week, and I am fascinated about this whole dark male program that he wants to start. I do think that the Dark Mail Initiative is something that provides exactly what we all need in order to have privacy equivalent to having at least a separate apartment that the third party provider could provide a distinct key to. Or at the same time, maybe it would be like having our own private home such that the only way the government could get the key to come inside is by coming and knocking on your door where you would know about it. That would be the super super ideal. And again, I don't understand the technology enough to know what the analog, you know, what the exact requirement would be, but in any event, I'm looking forward to talking with him as well. So I do hope you'll join me next week for that. And we'll go ahead and right now switch over to Arthur's A pretty quick. I think he's calling in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Sounds be. good. Um Okay, so what do we have here? We're not even at the top of the hour yet, so let me go ahead and um, try to introduce our guest with a little bit of a preamble based on another experience that I had heard about the TSA. I have a separate friend on Facebook who um, did not want to be identified separately necessarily by name, but this friend was going through a checkpoint, security checkpoint, with some cupcakes. And I think the friend had purchased cupcakes at one of these gourmet shops and wanted to bring the cupcakes to uh, his or her destination in order to share them with friends, et cetera. And the TSA agent comes up and says, "Mm, you know, those look really good and jokes a little like, oh, I could confiscate those for testing and continued to joke about confiscating the cupcakes for testing and went on and on about it in a way where it's just flaunting their power, because it's actually true. This woman, even though she's not breaking any law by trying to bring the cupcakes through, she could have had her cupcakes. Oh, sorry, woman. Sorry, I I gave it away. I wanted to be totally anonymous. Um, But, you know, could have had the cupcakes confiscated by the TSA officer, and her friend might not have enjoyed it, so. In any event, you're listening to Don't Let It Go Unheard. We're at the top of the hour, and I am going to be joined now by Arthur Zay. He is a partner engineer at Twitter. Arthur, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Oh, and I can hear you very well, too. So this is actually a really good connection. I was wondering first, can you just tell me, what is a partner engineer?
2: Sure. So I'm on the developer and platform relations team at Twitter, so we – talk to and liaise with partners of all different sizes, so ranging from the general developer public to very strategic partners that we have. And what I focus most of my time on is uh, actually dealing with the engineering teams of some of our strategic partners and also Twitter's engineering teams. So when we're integrating a new product or helping them to use one of our existing products, uh, it's a lot of going back and forth between engineering teams. So, Unfortunately, I don't actually write any shippable code, but uh, I, it's a highly technical role that also requires that I can speak human.
1: <laughs> but you can write code? You're capable of writing code?
2: I have in the past uh, in, in previous jobs, but, uh, and I think it, it's certainly a prerequisite for this position to be able to uh, write code, but it just I, I haven't found it uh, to be extremely necessary in, in my exact role.
1: W- but you'd like it to, so you, when you say, "Unfortunately," you would like to be doing some of that.
2: Uh, well, so right now, a lot of my uh, a lot of my job is very interrupt driven. So it's uh, emergencies that come up at really any time of day or night, uh, I and see. so there's not really a lot of time to to write code. Um, I would like to write a little bit of code. I think there are a lot of tools that I could create that would make my job and some of the jobs of my peers a little bit easier. So. Yeah, that's why I say unfortunately. It's, it's, actually, this is the longest time in my life that I haven't written code for work.
1: Wow. Wow. Well, I'm hoping that you'll be able to step back and, and write some of the pieces, at least the ones that are going to make your job easier. But go ahead and tell us about your encounter with the TSA. You know, I'm, I'm hearing stuff about the TSA all the time, and a lot of times it's this guy Alex Jones' website, so I click on that and I say, oh, God, InfoWars, I can't do this. Um, but, I mean, now, between the other friend that I just spoke about and you, I've heard a couple of real horror stories. So tell, tell us yours.
2: Sure. So I was on my way back from Vegas. Uh, I was there for an ultimate Frisbee tournament, of all things. And, as always, when I go back through uh, security, I always opt out of the nudie scanner. So I, I don't have any particular views on the safety of, of these scanners. I don't know anything about the radiation or whatever. So it's nothing like that. Uh, I just object to this whole... Security theater—it's all such a joke—and it's also intrusive. That, as a matter of principle, it's kind of my way of registering my discontent with the system and being as non-compliant as I can be while staying within the bounds of the law. So I always opt out, and the way I always phrase it is something along the lines of, "I would rather be groped than go through the nudity scanner."
3: Mm-hmm. And I always
2: use "groped and nudity scanner" because. I mean, look, okay, I get it. These poor TSA agents, you know, that we're supposed to have a lot of sympathy for because they're just doing their jobs. Um, you know, w- what good is it going to do for me to register my discontent? But I figure, you know what, every little drop counts. You know, the more people they know aren't okay with this, the better it is. So anyway, I go ahead and say this, and and I think I've finally got the, the strongest response that I've ever gotten from just the regular TSA officer. You know, he said something along the lines of, well, we offer full-body pat-downs, but if you're going to call it groping, we're going to have to start getting a lot of other people involved. <laughs> so, I mean, it's already very, because, you know, who the hell cares what you call it? So I said, well, I think you know what I want. Um, and he says something like, um, uh well, we can do, I, I can't remember the exact knowledge, but long story short, he ends up having to call over uh, his supervisor. So the supervisor comes over, uh, and the TSA officer, like, turns to him and says, this gentleman wants a quote-unquote groping. So oh,
1: the this is bad.
2: Yeah, yeah, so the supervisor looks at me, and he's, um, I would say, you know, maybe late 50s, uh, portly gentleman with a huge mustache. And he Mm said, do you want a pat down? And I said, "Uh, if that's what you call it. And he glares at me and says something like, well, what do you do for work? And, you know, I said something about working at a technology company. He said, what do you do? And I'm an engineer. He said, how would you like it if I came to your place of work and disparaged you? (laughs) <laughs> I'm already running all kinds of things through my head about really obnoxious, non-con- non-constructive things that I could say. But at this point, I realize that he's trying to make my life difficult. So, uh, you know, I I stammered out something about how, you know, I'm not just trying to disparage any of them personally, but register my discontent with the whole situation. And that's, that's what I'm saying I have a problem with. Um, you know, I didn't say any of the things like, well... You know what you guys are doing is totally legitimate, whereas my job actually creates value for people. I didn't say anything like that, of course.
1: Right, right. You could have.
2: I, I, I definitely wanted to. Let's say.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> so, no. But I understand at that point. You know, you're saying, okay, this guy is starting to take his power seriously. So, yeah.
2: Right. I mean, and keep in mind, at this point, I'm four hours uh, early for my flight, so. You know, I, I knew that I had some buffer time, so if I really wanted to, I could have been a little bit more difficult, and it probably would have been fine. But anyway, uh, he says, well, what do you think I can do about it? And I said, I don't know. Maybe you can report up that, you know, people are, you dislike this whole situation. And he says, uh, so that was a stupid thing to say. And I said, I don't think so. And he insists. He says, it was a stupid thing to say. Hmm. So he then takes a little bit of time, and again, the exact details of the chronology escape me, but he says something along the lines of, do you want to fly today? And I said, yes. Mm. He says, I can stop you from flying today for what you said. Great. So clearly he is just mad with power because he can stop anybody for any reason. Uh, from flying, they have just this unlimited discretion, it turns out. Um, And, you know, even if it turns out that this would have been abuse of his power and that there would have been a problem and this was illegitimate, I mean, I didn't want to miss my flight because, you know, I had a point to prove about TSA overstepping their bounds. And anyway, it's ridiculous. I'm, of course, complying with all the instructions that they've given me, uh, you know, I'm certainly not a threat to homeland security.
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh,
2: but even, even, if, even if I were being extremely obnoxious, which I wasn't, I was being assertive, but following all of their instructions, that still wouldn't be a reason to keep me off a plane. Uh, people who are obnoxious are not a security threat. I mean, not as such. And, I mean, if, if anything, you would think that the people who are most likely to be security threats would know better than to try to be obnoxious with TSA agents. I mean,
1: well, and then and then the other thing is that you were showing that your disagreement was not even with them personally, but with the whole procedure. So clearly you had stated that if you, you know, pose a threat in terms of being obnoxious, you know, that you're the only the only people's day who you would like to ruin are the people who instituted the whole proceeding in the first place. You were being, you know, polite to them. It's just they didn't like the terminology you were using. Right. Right.
2: Right.
0: Well, it them how bad uh, what they're doing is, you know? It just, it just reminds them, and, they're, and, and that they're part of right. it. I mean, right. Knows? I mean,
2: there is a the sense in which it is inescapable that they will be disparaged by my criticism. Yeah. Because, gosh, as you pointed out, they are accomplices, or whatever you want to no. call it. Um, and after all, they chose this career. I mean, yeah, maybe the economy sucks, and people have to take the jobs that they can get, and... You know, maybe some people are TSA agents out of desperation, but I think more likely the kind of power that comes with it attracts just the worst psychologies, no doubt about it.
1: So, I mean, uh, how long after that? How about how long total were you detained, do you think?
2: Well, eventually, well, so I think the whole situation only took, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes to resolve, so it really wasn't that big a deal. Um, They ended up giving me a, a groping, which was you know, fine, it was just like any other groping I've ever received from the TSA. and I, I almost wanted to joke uh, with them and say, was it good for you? But oh, no. I, didn't, I didn't think that that would go over well. Um, but it's funny because I got the whole standard pat down, and because uh, so the security, the, the supervisor had called over another officer to actually give me the pat down, you know, the, when they call for a mail assist. And so he gives me the pat down and he says, Okay, you're free to go, but then the supervisor, who's supervising, says, you know, hey, wait a second. And this I guess reminds the 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 male assist that actually uh, he needs to do something a little bit more thorough. And so then he goes through all of my things and you know, he has that little wand with the little cloth on the end and Every so often, he puts the cloth into the scanner to make sure that there's no bomb residue or something like that.
1: Right, right. And so he's
2: really going through every nook and cranny of every single one of my bags. I mean, he really goes through everything. He's, like, I think, so I'm very strict about my diet, and so I brought a lot of prepared food with me because, you know, who knows what you're going to be able to get in Vegas. And so I had, I don't know, I think eight Tupperware container, like Pyrex Tupperware containers of... Uh, of well, most of them were empty at this point. And they didn't even say a word about that. I kind of expected, oh, you can't take glass on a plane, or, oh, you know, what is this? Why do you have all these potatoes and chicken? And <laughs> but that that didn't seem to be a problem. I feel like they t- definitely could have made an issue out of that. So I was kind of thankful uh, that they didn't. But anyway, they go through all of this. They, they pull everything out, all of my cables for everything, all of my electronics, everything, whatever. So... It, it, it's all over, and they say, you know, have a good flight, and I'm just thinking, yeah, right. Um, uh, anyway, it was, it was ridiculous. Then uh, the irony is that they didn't even find the pair of scissors that I had in my bag.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's just nuts. You but think- also,
2: sorry, with that,
0: with that thorough breakdown of the bag, they're just reminding you that they have the power to do this. You know? They probably took right. a sweet time as well. Which is terrible, and that's the kind of mentality that goes to work for the TSA post 9 11. I think it's absolutely true. I don't have sympathy for these people, as someone wrote, wrote here. I just don't. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah, part I mean, of something that's that shouldn't exist.
1: Yeah. State yeah, Defiance I mean, over here. State Defiance in the chat room is talking about you know was the groping good for you, and he mm-hmm. needs a cigarette, and so like <laughs> that that was what you. Could, I need a cigarette now. You could have said that afterwards, of course, you're not allowed to have a cigarette in a in an airport anyway, so that would have gotten you in trouble as well. But oh my gosh, this is this is crazy. I mean, so I mean, have you flown since that time?
2: Uh, I haven't, but I will be again in early March. So we'll see what happens. And I'm going to continue calling it groping in the nudity scanner. Yes, um, absolutely, because that's what it is. And someone posted on when I posted all of this on Facebook, one of my friends uh, actually posted a definition from the dictionary of uh, of groping and. Is to feel or search about uncertainly for something with the hands.
0: Can you put that on a T-shirt when you fly next and just put it like in a like black T-shirt with wet letters and just say right, this is what you're doing?
2: I'm sorry, repeat.
1: Oh, can you repeat that? I'm sorry, I didn't get that last bit.
2: Oh, I was saying I should just bring a pocket dictionary with me and say, <laughs> no, this is exactly what you're doing. Uh, right. So, yeah, I
1: guess, I, guess, I guess given recent precedents, I would not uh, show them a definition that you pull up on your phone. They'd be like, <laughs> oh, you showed me your phone. Hmm, now, now I, I can grab I your them phone them. and search your phone. You, yeah. know, you don't want to invite that kind of stuff just given what I've read in recent cases. Ninth nice circuit, usually pretty good, but yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you know about those things too, right? How the government can just confiscate your device and look at it oh, without yeah. a warrant.
2: And and even still, though, whatever however good the Ninth Circuit might be about this, this is not the kind of thing that I necessarily want to go to court over. It's just not yeah. – I, I definitely have better things to do with my time than than fight the TSA in court. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, you know. There's a part I, of me I, that I, wants to, but there's also another part of me that realizes that I really need to be focusing on things like my job. <laughs>
1: No. Well, and here's the thing. So, I mean, you, you do. You have an important and busy job there at Twitter, which is awesome. Congratulations. Uh, to take some of your time and, you know, to risk not being able to travel to actually make a statement about this, kudos to you for doing that. But here's a question. What were you doing with four hours of time to kill it at an airport? <laughs>
2: well, to the re- I was there so early is that I just happened to catch a flight or happened to catch a ride with uh, some of my other friends who were there for the frisbee tournament and they had earlier flights. So in- instead of driving there earlier. So that's why I was there early. As, as for what I actually did, some people had later flights. I actually quite coincidentally ran into uh, another objectivist friend of mine who had a layover in Vegas between somewhere in the Midwest and San Diego. <laughs> So it was was really funny. So we ended up having dinner, you know, I, of course, eating out of my Pyrex uh, (laughs) bowl and, and potatoes, um... All, all yeah. of
1: this virtue, all of this virtue surrounding me with regard to diet is, is overwhelming. I, you know, I was doing Whole 30 and then I gave up after 27 days because I had terrible charley horses. So I don't know if it was a rationalization or not, but I added dark chocolate back into uh-huh. my diet since uh, uh-huh. since then. And today we had, you know, it was the end of the Whole 30, so we had the ceremonial latte made with heavy cream from starbucks but I, I don't even know if i miss it that much no. now isn't that weird
2: yeah so it's funny i've never actually done whole 30 just because i'm otherwise very strict about what i eat so i've been doing paleo probably for now more than four and a half years wow. and i my attitude about it is that i do like i eat only the things that i think are optimal and best for me to eat and i don't i try to get not be in situations where i have to start doing balancing or thinking about, well, just how much of this other thing can I eat before it becomes a problem. I just try to stick to, okay, here are the healthy things I'm allowed to eat. As soon as I learn that something is probably not a good idea for me to eat, I'll cut it out. So when I first started paleo, I didn't really know about legumes. And then I learned about maybe you should avoid legumes, so I just cut them all out. And now I kind of, there are only some legumes that I reintroduce. Like I think green beans are okay under some circumstances, so I wouldn't make a federal case out of those. But still not the first thing on my list when I go for greens.
1: I think green beans are allowed just, on, the, on the Whole30. Green beans are okay, but for whatever it's worth.
2: I think so, uh, too. And, you know, like I've done some experimenting with dairy, and I don't, think it's, I don't think it really affects me that much, but I'm currently experimenting with no dairy again. So what, I, what I'm doing now amounts to Whole30, with the exception of eating white potatoes, which I do for various fitness goals that I'm trying to achieve, which is a much longer discussion.
1: Yeah, no, I know, and and the archivore guy Kurt Harris talks about having white potatoes and bananas and uh, even even some rice, although rice doesn't have very much to offer nutritionally. So yeah, very cool. Anyway, good good to talk paleo with you as well. But so I mean, what what would you recommend to other people with respect to TSA? When, for instance, why do you choose? I was going to ask you this: Why do you choose the groping versus the nudie scanner?
2: Um. Well, if you just go through the nudie scanner, you're not really registering any kind of discontent with the situation, whereas it allows you to be a little bit non-compliant when you, you know, opt out. Okay. So that's that's one way of just registering that I'm not satisfied with the situation. Uh, And I think that by calling it groping a nudie scanner, I'm signaling that my concern is not the radiation. I don't really know how much radiation is actually an issue. I've heard a lot of people talk about it. I, just, I haven't done any research into it, and so I have no opinion on it. My, my attitude about things like that is to avoid them until I'm satisfied to my own epistemological standards that they're safe, um, and I just haven't looked into it. So from a certain perspective, the safe default is to not use it, but that's not, that doesn't really factor into my, into my decision. I'm trying to be difficult. Like that's, that's the real reason here. Yeah,
1: I mean, make it make it as costly as possible for them to perform an improper government function, basically. And
2: also, and also you know,
0: again, remind them that what they're up to is no good. That this shouldn't exist. It, it's a good thing, believe me. If, if more people do it, if more people did what you did, uh, they would have to rethink this through. I mean, and they would, and they probably would say, okay, let's do away with this. People are complaining too much, because they, yeah, they they think- always move when that happens.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of people on my Facebook thread and then in private uh, conversations, they're like, well, what, you don't think that there should be security at airports? And I no, was thinking, man. like, that is a complete false dichotomy because of course. airlines have a huge incentive to do proper security and not this farce of the TSA. So, I mean, look, I I haven't really given a lot of thought to whether there should be an agency like the TSA that exists at all, but in any event, they should have zero presence at airports, right? If right. they're going to exist and they're going to have some kind of oversight maybe or whatever, and maybe there's some justification from an individual rights perspective to have such an agency. If that's true, then fine. They can stay in Washington and they can do whatever oversight they feel they need to do, but they certainly have no role in actual airports. And I, I think that that's somewhat proven by what policies other countries have. Like I, I can't remember where where this was, but I read an article in which uh, some higher ups at the airport in Tel Aviv were interviewed about various security procedures that they have and how it compares to American airports. And right. they were completely scandalized by what kinds of nonsense we have to go through here in America. They said if we delayed somebody by half an hour from getting to their to the gate, I mean that would be that would be a travesty, totally unacceptable. And they have the probably the biggest security issue of anybody. Yeah. Uh, and the biggest right. incentive to do it right. And how do but they, they have, do it? They
1: have, uh, they have no problem with profiling, no. Right? No, well, not.
2: right? So not only do they do they do a good job of profiling and they're open about it, which I think is, is a good thing and probably would be good to train our society to not be so horrified by the word profiling. But, I mean, what do they mean by profiling? Part of it is that when you – go to board your flight in Israel in, in the Tel Aviv airport, Ben Gurion, they look into your eyes and they ask you, where are you going? And mm-hmm. they're able to do a lot of, it's not even like racial profiling, it's psychological profiling. It's right. Based on how you answer, what your expression is, you know, whether you start to look panicked. You know, mm-hmm. they'll ask you things like, you know, who are you going to go visit? What the, What was the purpose of your trip here? And all kinds of things that, I mean, you know, honestly, a very, very clever terrorist could probably be trained to get around. But nevertheless, the point is that they have security measures that they, I think they've proven have
1: worked. Right, right. And ours clearly don't. I mean, there's your scissors got through, and you were subjected to a whole ton of extra scrutiny. So there's a piece of information right there. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess one thing that you'll be glad to know is that you were not the target of TSA agents laughing at your naked scanned body? I got this when I posted the the link for today's show. Zach over on Facebook posted a link to this story from Politico, an ex-TSA agent saying, "Dear America, I saw you naked." Confessions of an ex-TSA agent. And don't uh, I mean, you know, maybe you, because you've been on paleo for four and a half years and you're in great shape, they would see your naked body and they'd say, okay, well, he looks great. We really can't laugh at him. Nothing to say. But uh, maybe some of us are a little well, more laughing. no. I think,
2: actually, I think what they would probably do is, because of some inferiority complex, they would probably pull me aside for additional screening <laughs> just because they feel so right. awful about themselves. And how much that's better right. they probably
1: <laughs> they do, so. <laughs> or they say, they say, boy, he looks really great. That can't be real. They're, he must be hiding something. <laughs> and then they grope
2: you. And then they grope you and test it. Or minute.
1: yeah, I want to grope that. <laughs>
2: yeah, I jokingly say, you know, TSA agents need some loving too. So really what I'm doing by offering for them to grope me is it's, it's a kindness. It's a charity. Hey.
1: Oh, that's so sad. Oh, um, yeah, it's, it's like the best part of their day or something, Arthur. That's awesome. Except for that they have to be reminded what they're doing all the time. Well, yeah. Yeah.
0: But they, but they should be. <laughs> they
1: should be. Well, I, th- I thank you for, for calling in and telling us your story. I mean, you know, again, I read about these horror stories, but I don't hear them from reliable sources. Until recently, I've had my Facebook friends popping up with these stories so i'm glad that you're able to to share it out there with the world did you share it around there at twitter
2: uh i mean i mentioned it to a couple of friends of mine and i certainly posted about it on twitter and linked to my facebook post oh, so yeah. any anybody who's following me on twitter had the opportunity to also read my account on facebook i mean it's clearly more than 140 character account but um yeah, yeah i i don't know i i feel like people People in the tech industry don't don't tend to be as politically angsty as uh, people in other industries, and yeah. or at least that's 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 my feeling. I I don't know if that's actually true. Uh,
1: well, but, and maybe maybe it's because I mean, and this is what I've heard, but not working in the tech industry myself, I can't tell you 100%. But people say tech industry has not been. Yeah. Be set with all of these regulations yet the way that all the other industries have so that in a way you're kind of in a little bit of an insulated bubble, at least for now, and unless and until it starts to get worse. But as I was talking about, you know, in the uh, in the last hour, Ladar Levison over at Lababit has found himself shut down and hit with a huge contempt fine for trying to provide you know, privacy protection, it seems, for the, mo- the bulk of his customers. I don't think Twitter would be in in that kind of situation, but there's going to be probably a lot that comes down in the near future that's going to make you guys have to deal with privacy concerns a lot more, and that's going to be a bit onerous.
2: Guess what I'm getting. Well, I mean, I can't, I can't comment on anything officially, but, I mean, as you can imagine, there are a lot of other countries in which we operate where they have, let's just say, less than... Uh, superb protections for freedom of speech where countries actually issue takedown requests of certain kinds of content. What I can think of in particular that happened a while ago was some kind of Jewish anti-defamation organization in France demanded that certain tweets be taken down because they considered them to be anti-Semitic. And through all the various proper channels that that ended up... um, you know, coming to us as a request for takedown. Now, I don't recall exactly what we did in that specific situation, but we do have a mechanism for withholding tweets from being displayed in certain countries, um, which, say, anyone who accesses through our API or whatever it is required to honor. So... Wow, I mean that's hard.
1: You know that, that that's a whole other that's a whole topic for another day. I would definitely want to talk about it. I mean, you know, as for me personally, I would say anything that Twitter, you as a private company, wants to take down for whatever reason. I mean, it's your house in effect, and people are you know welcome there on particular terms, and you could do it. Personally, if it's a government requesting a takedown, and you yourself would like to see the message continue, it it it's really hard. You know, you have to decide. Mm-hmm how how much good are you doing in the world by allowing as much information as you are permitted by these countries to get out there uh you know does it does it balance does it outweigh the idea of that you are in effect helping the government to censor information to its citizens i'm i'm hoping right. that stuff you know there there's this new company anchor for free i don't actually i don't know how new it is but i just recently heard about it so it's new to me <laughs> uh you know anchor free offers some sort of uh, like redirect servers and things like that, so that I guess people can act as if they're not in the censored countries that they're in when they're on the mm-hmm. internet. Maybe they can get more information that way. So it looks like there are technological ways for people to get the information that supposedly these countries think that they're getting you to censor for them.
2: Yeah, I mean there are definitely through proxies and other kinds of mechanisms right. ways to get on that, uh, but. Yeah, there's we have to be careful uh, for sure about how we decide to, you know, because anything we do is going to be public and open about how we conduct ourselves and what decisions we make about anything. So, for example, there are all kinds of technological ways where, that we could get Twitter into China, but mm-hmm. they would be backhanded, secretive, and they would be, you know, going around what the Chinese government is actually trying to do, and that can create a lot of... Unwanted tension for us, um, you know. And it's just, it's like a security issue for us, just from a physical security perspective too. I mean, like we don't want to create an international incident because we've decided to go around China's uh, rules.
1: Well, right. And the other thing is that, yes, uh, if I was Twitter, I would love to provide the Chinese people, you know, with access to Twitter. Oh, nice. But you need not do it as a sacrifice to yourselves if it affects. Your ability to remain secure and all that kind of stuff, and especially is our government going to help protect you as need be if if you are subjected to security threats? I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of topics we could get there. But thank you, Arthur, for talking to us. I think we're going to go ahead and uh, go on to another topic now because Bosch is just informing me that they are breaking news. Chris Christie actually knew
0: about the lane closings.
1: The lane closings. Do you remember the scandal? I don't know if you followed the scandal or not. The Chris Christie lane closing scandal. You try not to? Okay.
0: And, sorry, sorry. And for the record, uh, every time we mention Christie, we have to have a piece of chocolate. Yeah, so we, because so we, we call him eater eating. Yeah, we've gotta go
1: we got to go eat a pot, piece of chocolate now. And you're going to find that horrendous, a too, theory, as a good paleo guy. So, anyway, thank thank you so much for joining us, Arthur. And, yeah, we should definitely talk again. Right. I'll be be in touch, okay? Sounds good. Take care. Take care. Nice. Okay, so that was Arthur okay, so Zay. And Arthur Zay is a partner engineer over at Twitter. And, yeah, a real-life story of NSA abusing its authority to make our lives miserable. And that's all the whole
0: point. It's abuse. It is abuse, uh, you know, promiscuously to anyone and everyone except those that they should be looking at.
1: Now, Bosch, so, can, you, can you read to me a story about why it is that I'm about to eat this chocolate?
0: Okay, the top of drudge has a picture of uh, Eater Eating, a.k.a. Chris Christie, and it says he knew. He knew. And the story is from the New York Times. Wow. A, a rotten source. Okay, here I am. I'm, I'm going to start eating now. New
1: yeah, York Times. The
0: Whoop. former, this is by Kate Zernick, the uh, quote, uh, this is from the story. The former Port Authority official who personally oversaw the link closings on the George Washington Bridge and the scandal now swirling around. Uh, Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey said on Friday that the governor the governor knew about the lane closings when they were happening and that he had the evidence to wow. prove it. Wow, mm, so, uh,
1: evidence. This, uh, <laughs>
0: you know, this elephant. I mean, you know, you know, GOP. That's what I meant. Elephant. You know, the GOP symbol. This elephant uh, lied. He likely lied. Now we're gonna have to take the word of this guy. But this guy says I could prove it. You wouldn't say that if you couldn't. I doubt you would say that if, if you could not prove it.
1: Well, and I doubt the New York Times would publish it if there was I doubt Drudge would put it yeah. on
0: top of this. you know, this is, he knew, period.
1: Well, Drudge. And, mm-hmm. you know, we
0: all assumed he knew. Why the hell wouldn't he know? He's the governor. Why wouldn't he know? He has his chief advisor. She supposedly did it on her own, shotgunned mm-hmm. it out there. B.S.
1: Well, all I can say is that I hope, she has to just keep chewing while I'm, talking because it is the Chris Christie segment, but all I can say is that I hope this is the end of his candidacy. I don't know. He could be impeached for this, right?
0: I hope so. He lied. I mean, first of all, he did something that he should not do. First of all, he actually blocked a bridge terrible, terrible traffic in order to get re- re-
1: uh, revenge on the, revenge a mayor, on this mayor yeah.
0: who was who, who him, a Democrat mayor on top of that. Why the hell would a Democrat mayor support for him? Just because he speaks about all that, that bipartisan crap doesn't mean he actually does it. But he um, lied about it. He lied about it. He went to a press conference. He called his chief advisor stupid. He called her dishonest, a liar, and this pig lied. And he fired two people who he told to do this Call them a liar and, and you know, totally tarnished them.
1: He either told them to do it or he said something yeah. in which they reasonably believed that they had the authority and that he wanted them to do it. And then obviously he knew that they were doing it and didn't yes, call it off. And
0: didn't call it off. Robert says he chewed, uh, uh, or knew. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: have,
0: I have so many puns about this guy. I said, look, he can never run for president. He could waddle, maybe, but he could never run.
1: Arthur present. in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio thanks for being in the chat room and calling in today yeah, thanks, Arthur. Arthur. he says thanks for having me on the show he says I'd love to stay on but I have to get back to work he says it's a busy whirlwind of activity preparing for the Super oh, I can Bowl imagine. I can imagine definitely I mean Twitter's going to be huge
0: yeah. every move play by play you know,
1: people are going to tweet about it, oh my gosh this is this is really fun stuff. My favorite Twitter story is again, I was trying to give Snowden the questions in the Q and a for snowden. I mean, history happens on Twitter, right i got okay. I got my question to Roger Taylor of Duran Duran answered on Twitter. Yeah. I asked questions of Snowden in a desperate effort to get him to answer my questions. I he suppose, did not uh, answer my questions. I on exposed Penjaled as
0: a coward about Islam on Twitter I did there you go. I told him he called. Uh, Ayn Rand, an and F in something, he cursed her up, in a, in a complimentary way, as you put it. An uh, and F in wacko. So I told him, do you, would you say the same thing about Muhammad? He goes, no, I'm a coward. So, uh, you know, there's that.
1: I actually did the best 140-character summation of an answer to... The State of the Union Address, I did it this week. I did it without watching the State of the Union Address. Why? Because I knew he was going to talk about income inequality. This thing was just retweeted a little bit ago. Follow me at Amy Pickoff on Twitter if you want to follow. I don't tweet a ton. Sometimes I get on and tweet quite a bit with respect to a particular event. Sometimes I actually participate in the little games on Twitter. That's kind of fun. But, yeah, do follow me there if you are listening. Uh, what I said is that the only income inequality – that should be addressed by government, the income inequality caused by government. Excellent. Get out of the way. And I said get out of the way. I was kind of echoing a lot of things that Yaron Brook from the Ayn Rand Institute was tweeting that night. He was talking about getting the government out of the way. And uh, But this is true. You know, if, if you think the government has a role in, in addressing income inequality, I'm saying the only role it has is to redress those things that it caused, if it caused income inequality, then it needs to figure out how to stop causing income inequality that way, maybe make up for something that it did badly. But it continues to do more and more things that are going to cause more and more income inequality as, uh, as time goes on.
0: I, uh, I tweeted something that will not go over audibly. It was, uh, uh, I gave Obama high marks. That's what, I, that, that's what I tweeted.
1: M-A-R-X. Yeah. And it
0: was M-A-R-X. Yay. But uh, Daniel says that he doesn't think that uh, Christie uh, will get any, any flack that basically he can still run president because just for messing up traffic. He didn't just mess up traffic. It was vindictive. He did that, and he lied about it, and he fired two people about it and said, I will try to stop this. I will try. It's absolute. This is, this is, this is different. You know, this, this is a whole different ballgame now. So, and, and Republicans can't get away with this type of thing. Democrats could. I mean, he says Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy was responsible for allowing a girl to die. He still became, you know, he still became the liar of the, of the Senate. But that's Ted Kennedy. He's a fat pig, drunk, who allowed a woman to die, but he was a Kennedy, so he can get away with it. Chris Christie can't get away with it. He's not a Democrat. I mean, he's, he's a Democrat, politically speaking, but I don't he's know. not Sometimes a Democrat like by us I get cynical
1: about what people can get away with. He sh- definitely should not be able to get away with it, and I am disappointed in a lot of Republicans who sort of want him to get away with it. You know, who it's like, oh, he just needs oh, to learn a lesson. They,
0: oh, some know. Republicans, that was a golden boy. First of all, uh. how the hell can you put your hopes on Chris Christie, the disgusting Chris Christie, for many reasons? He, he's disgusting. And uh, apologize for him. I say, well, you know, look at what Obama did. It's like, wait a minute. This is you would accept this from anything from anyone if you were stuck in that traffic. Personally, would then you wouldn't like it. You don't have to be stuck in that traffic to realize this is, this is a terrible thing they did, and lied about it and fired people and abused them. He, he called them stupid and dishonest and got rid of them. These disgusting people, and uh, the word is that now it's uh, he lied. So I don't think you could you could do that and get away with it. And uh, Robert, you know, mentions here also that. Uh, in terms of the Ted Kennedy, he didn't get away with it fully because he, he lost his chance to become president. It really, really, I mean, that is the one thing that he could not overcome to get to the highest office. I mean,
1: uh, when I think about the fact that out of political vindictiveness, he would destroy the day of, I don't know, hundreds his, of thousands his, of people his, who are just sitting there. Not the guy. On this road. Not the mayor. Right.
0: The people. Uh, American people.
1: What would he do as president out of political vindictiveness?
0: I mean, this guy's, you know, I call him, you know, power hungry for for many reasons. That's what he is. He wants wants Obama-like power. Look what he does as governor. Imagine what he'd do as president.
1: Let's go to some fun stuff here. I wanted... Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. What happened? Oh, no. What happened? Okay, so I was going to play you some clips from Edward Snowden's television interview... It was on Vimeo, and now I can't find it on Vimeo anymore because Mm. it was deleted. It says, a third-party notification by NDR claiming that the material is infringing. And actually, I guess it is. So I don't know how I can find Edward Snowden's interview on NDR, which is the German outlet that interviewed him. I thought this was posted with permission. So now I have to see. Oh, I have it over here. But I bet if I try to play it it's not going to play. Let's see here. Will it play? I had a a window open. Yeah, nothing's playing. Uh, nothing's playing. Yeah. Ay ay ay. Oh, this is terrible. Can you find me a, a link Bosch, uh, for it? I would like to play some clips of it, but in the meantime, why don't we go to some of the other I I literally just checked it this morning and it was here and now it's gone. So <laughs> If you go to Vimeo and they have an error, it says uh Vimmy (laughs) uh-oh. That is pretty cute, actually. That is pretty cute. But let's talk about a couple of the other things that I have over there. One of them is, I don't know if you know, Tammy Bruce, who is the radio talk show host, who has kindly had us guest host for her for a number of times. So thanks again to Tammy. She not only does, right now, four days a week typically, because she's had us do one day a week, past couple weeks, but typically five days a week, two hours a day, With an no extra hour, yeah, no commercials. That's a big thing. She does a little bit of music break here and there, but no commercials. Oh, you've got it.
0: I don't know. It's, it's a Vimeo, but
1: Oh, no. but no, no, that one's gone. You've got to try to find another link to it if you can. Uh, go ahead and search for NDR. I need the full length of the interview to know. Oh, is that it? Oh, that would be great. Yeah. If we can find yeah. it. You've got it? Yeah. Okay, can I give you some spaces in that interview to go to? Let me I'll, give you. i forward to you. Well, no, no, no. I, play it off the phone. Oh, I see. Let's play it off the phone. And let me give you places that we want to go in the interview. I hope it's the full length of the interview. I want to go to 2155. Let's see. See if you can get to 2155. What do you got?
0: Uh, let's see. Okay.
1: Yeah. Oh, is it no, playing at all? Talking. Okay, okay, that's fine. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk about Tammy Bruce while he's trying to... Or it 21? 2155 is the first location. Uh, I'll give you a setup for this first clip. So in this first little clip at about 2155 or so, the interviewer is going with uh, Snowden through his history. And Snowden, I don't know if he knew this, had signed uh, up for the military. And in particular, he wanted to be in special forces. And special forces, not necessarily meaning he was going to go there and do things for brute strength. The guy kind of made fun of him. He says, you're this slight guy. And what do you mean special forces? And he said, no, no. He wanted to use his technological capability to help our government. And he actually believed for a time in the Iraq war, which he later decided he didn't believe was right. Um, I think he worked also for the CIA for a bit. He couldn't really talk about what he did there, understandably. So he had a long record of government service and believing in something. what our government was doing.
0: Let me say something. Those conservatives who trash him call him a traitor, they want to him, kill him more or less, um, they, they're they usually very respectful of anyone who serves. They always, always say, oh, he's a better man than me. That wasn't known about him. Now, if it was known about him, would they have felt differently? Would they have spoken differently about him? You know, this guy put it on the line. Anyway, check it out. Here
2: we
1: go. Let's play some Stone working
2: uh, human rights activist or, or somebody who becomes a whistleblower afterwards
3: what happens to you i think it tells a story uh and that's no matter how deeply an individual is embedded in the government uh no matter how uh, faithful to the government they are uh no matter how strongly they believe in the causes of their government as i did during the iraq war um people can learn, uh, people can discover the line between appropriate government behavior and actual wrongdoing. And I think it became clear to me that that...
1: Yeah, and he goes on to say that, you know, it it was clear to me that that line had been crossed. And there he is speaking about the power of free will. Uh, Another thing that makes me hopeful about that. Is When you think of all the people who are being educated in government schools, the hope for them to be able to turn around and realize how wrong a lot of what they're being taught is. And revolt. But I think also he is speaking in particular to the people. And he talked about this in other parts of the interview. He knows that there's a lot of good people working for NSA and other areas of government and people who have the same types of concerns as he does. And I think he's saying to them, hey, you guys know, you know when the government crosses that line between a proper government activity and actual wrongdoing, and that basically other people can choose to do the same thing that he has done. So I thought that was a a really excellent little part of the clip. The whole interview is worth watching. I highly recommend. It's a little bit over a half an hour, but another clip that I want to no, He's very sharp.
0: He's very intelligent. Well, yeah. well spoken.
1: Definitely. Definitely he is. You know, when I was watching the online chat with him where people were asking questions and he was answering them, you read the answers and you say, okay, this is someone who's articulate yeah. and knows what he's doing. But how do I know this is Snowden? I'm yeah. just seeing some text type on a page. But then you see this interview. You say, okay, he's alive. He's well. Yeah. He's coherent. He's principled. He's Snowden, though. I, I really like this guy. And again, I draw a distinction between Snowden and the WikiLeaks, Manning, absolute. all these other... Those,
0: those are punks.
1: Punks, yeah.
0: Absolute punks. No principle. They just want to just just scatter this information out there and be responsible. I,
1: I, I don't see Snowden that way. So go ahead and boot it up to 24 minutes into the interview, if you can do it. This is great. Bosch is doing this as, as accurately as he can on the iPhone. Love our iPhones. 2402. 2402. That's good enough. Let's... Let's play it and put the speakers so I
3: No auditing. The government didn't even know they were gone. At the very end, you
2: ended up in Russia. Many of the intelligence community suspect you made a deal, classified material for asylum here in Russia.
3: The chief of the task force investigating me uh, as recently as December said that their investigation had turned up no evidence or indications at all that I had any outside help or contact or had made a deal of any kind. Um, to accomplish my mission. I worked alone. Uh, I didn't need anybody's help. Uh, I don't have any ties to, to foreign governments. I'm not a spy for Russia or China or, or any other country for that matter. Uh, if I'm a traitor, who did I betray? I gave all of my information to the American public, to American journalists who were reporting on American issues. If they see that as treason, I think people really need to consider who do they think they're working for public is supposed to be
1: their boss, not their enemy. Oh, we could have had that last part too. He says the public is supposed to be their boss, not the enemy. That's my fault that I had Bosch pull it away too soon. But yeah, he says, look, who do they think that they're working for if he's guilty of treason? And I I thought that was interesting. He says he gave all the information to American journalists reporting on American issues. Categorically denies all of these allegations. Everyone just assumes. He's helping the Chinese. He's helping the Russians. He's made a deal with them. With no
0: basis. Yeah. They're, just, they're just projecting this onto It's Like, well, if he, he's a spy, so he has to have done that. You know I mean?
1: I think part of it is this, is this need to tear down people who are doing things on principle.
0: No doubt. I mean, there's something there. Because they can't believe that this guy is legit. They have to believe he's up to no good. And then you think about who's in our government, who's in charge. They are up to no good. And this guy told us how much worse it is than, than we even thought. And for this, he gets to, you know, he has to live in Russia. I mean, it's disgusting the way it goes from John Bolton to Dick Cheney to, to Obama to all those rats in Washington pulling this crap.
1: I'm just, and, you know, I'm just telling you, Russia looks more and more attractive. Russia's the yeah. only one who took him in.
0: Yeah. It's the, I mean, Russian, they, it's the they,
1: Russian Times that reported on Lavabit.
0: They'll do it to kick us.
1: No yeah. doubt they have
0: their own motives. They'll say, oh, man, this is perfect, beautiful, come to us. But whatever, they gave him asylum. And he needs it, and no one else was actually offering it. I mean, he did he mention how surprised he was that actually no real good countries, yes. f- f- freer countries, offered him asylum.
1: Yeah, and it was funny because they asked him the list of countries, and he couldn't even remember the whole list and, and state it. But he said for sure it included, you know, England, Germany, no. France. You know, all these supposed yeah. Western nations that believe in freedom. Ah, no. <sighs> give me, give me one more question. It would have been particularly
0: good if, uh, if if Israel took him in. Than you know the left they, they would have went oh, crazy. they'd
1: really be upset. 2819 2819 is the last that I want to play here. Again, I, I recommend listening to the entire interview. He is excellent when he's talking about what he did and why he did it. Apparently, he doesn't have any of the any more of the information on him. I mean, you know what what he's talking from memory, and also advocating for proper privacy policy here in the United States. Yes, uh,
0: State of Finance right? that so he was shocked at John Bolton's comments. I'm, I was shocked as well. I mean, really shocked. Amy interviewed him, and and,
1: and it was funny because uh, when we first scheduled the we're interview, I thought we were going to have a sympathetic he's interview been, with he, him. He's been and so it was, good. It was like a day before the interview that I learned about his comments on Snowden. I said, "Well, we got to talk to. We it's, have to talk to him about absolutely. that. We have to." Absolutely, because
0: I mean, I made a poster in 2012. I said, "John, you know, Bolton in 2012. I, I thought he'd, he'd be a great candidate. He's very articulate. He loves the country. He's a patriot. He's an old." Uh, um, What's called the guy from the '60s, Goldwater, Goldwater Republican. Guy, yeah. Goldwater, Goldwater Republican.
2: Republican.
0: You know, there's a sympathy there for freedom, and for him to come out the way he has, in the same vein as a Barack Obama, call him a traitor. It's pretty shocking. Anyway, here's the soundbite. Well, sorry. 2819
1: what, what is, is what I want. Do you got it? No. We will get the proper clip up here.
0: I'm sorry. One second. It's okay. I gotta put one. Okay. It's, I'm going to have to
1: try to download this interview so I always have access to it. Oh, my gosh, no. 13, 14. To a
3: conclusion that serves the interests of all parties. I think it's clear there are times where what is lawful is distinct from what is rightful. Uh, There are times throughout history, and it doesn't take long for either an American or a German, to think about times in the history of their country where the law provided the government to do things which were not
2: right. President Obama, what does Hmm in the very moment not quite convinced of that. Mm-hmm.
1: Because he said he yeah, he, go- he goes on to say that President Obama is not convinced of the fact that the government is not doing it right. Why? They're charging Barack him with a bunch of felonies. They're charging Snowden with a bunch of just, felonies.
0: Just just think, and please, I, I have to ask the audience um, If this is during a Bush era and Barack Obama was a senator, he would have sympathy for Snowden. He would have called him a hero, probably. Mm-hmm. This, is the, this is the partisan hackery going on here. You know, this guy warned us that our government is far worse than we even thought. And for this, again, he's where Obama should be, on the run. It's disgusting.
1: Right. Yep. And, you know, will the LavaBit case itself that I was talking about last hour actually bring up a lot of these issues about privacy on the Internet? I actually don't think necessarily that's going to be the forum to do it. Uh, some people think the future of the Internet depends on it. I think the future of the Internet depends on two different things. Getting rid of the third-party doctrine that makes that bulk metadata collection yeah. legal. Again, don't go see my article, Don't Tread on My Metadata. It's over at PJ Media. It's called Definitely Don't awesome. Tread on My Metadata. And you can read my whole argument there. That's got to go. And then once that goes, we also need the technology, like Dark Mail promises to be, that is going to provide robust privacy protection that's analogous to you having your own individual apartment with its own key or own home with its own key so that the service provider could potentially provide, you know, could comply with lawful requests or maybe the service provider doesn't even have access to personal data such that they're the wrong person to go to, such that if the government wants your Data, your electronically digitally stored data, they have to come knocking on your virtual door, so to speak, and that's what they have to do now with physical stuff. Why not have that with electronic stuff as well? I don't see any proper legal barriers to us having the same situation with our homes and apartments uh, there on the internet. I don't, I don't see a problem with that. I could see le- the government's going to try to challenge it, but I, w- I would defend it. So, okay, uh,
0: can I go off the grid for one second? Yes. Uh, Man of Steel, which I loved, the latest, uh, the last uh, Superman movie. They're, they're having a sequel with Batman and Wonder Woman and all these, and, and Lex Luthor was supposed to be the villain. And they were, uh, the rumors were that Joaquin Phoenix or Brian Cranston of Breaking Bad would be Lex Luthor. And I, I would have loved either, but I, w- I would have preferred Joaquin Phoenix. You know, He just has that, that, that look about him and, and is seething with envy, hatred. But now it's uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Now, I don't want to say who he is, just anyone out there wants to maybe just Google it quick while you're on the show and take a look.
1: Well, what you'll see if you Google Jesse Eisenberg (laughs) is that we didn't just go entirely off the grid because it's tangentially related to a third-party service yes. provider on the internet, <laughs> right. which shall remain yes. nameless. But let's go on so, to I got last two articles okay. to talk about here.
0: After I saw the actor, I said, "What the you know what?" But then, if you think about it, it might make sense in the end if they do it right, because Lex Luthor ought to be an envious, super-envious individual about Superman. So let's see.
1: Okay. We'll let people go check it out for themselves. A couple things I want to point out again. uh, Tammy Bruce has been a regular columnist for the last few weeks at the Washington Times. Her columns come out on Friday. And the one that she has today is appropriately titled, Is the GOP Deliberately Trying to Sabotage the 2014 Midterms, And she discusses the fact that the official response that they gave to the State of the Union speech was wimpy, both in the terms of the way, the manner in which the woman, the Representative Kathy McMorris, that she presented herself, and also the substance of it, that they didn't make any real substantive challenge to the State of the Union address by Obama. And she damningly says, and I I tend to agree, she says, perhaps the current GOP leadership prefers things as they are, not enough power to do anything of conservative consequence. They don't want the Senate while watching and applauding as House majority leader soon to become Speaker of the House. Eric Cantor did during the State of the Union, the liberal agenda, she says, including the de facto amnesty would become the law of the land if they have their way, she says. Now, she's very into the immigration issue. I'm uh, fairly agnostic about the immigration issue because I want to see a particular bill. Bro, I'm, I'm for more open immigration. If Chuck Schumer, Harry
0: Reid. Reid, and Obama like the bill, it is rotten to the core. It should not be passed. It should be fought to death. It should be.
1: Yeah. But you know, she says, look, that it's not just a political party at stake. It's our nation's future and your family's future. She also says in here that she does not believe, like some people believe in the Republican Party, that Barack Obama is actually concerned with our interests. No, she thinks he does not like us. And she said that time and again on our show. So go ahead and check that out. And then one last thing I want to talk about in the few minutes that we have is an op-ed by Ted Cruz in which uh, he points out Obama's willingness to flout the Constitution, not just in terms of numbers yeah. of executive orders. I Perhaps mean, the content. you know, it, it may be that George W. Bush issued more executive orders than Barack Obama because he was very conscientious about his job, which I could believe. I mean, he was an earnest patsy.
0: Well, maybe. <laughs> I just – I can't even compliment that guy that much. That's no. a too high a compliment, but I know what you mean. Compared to Obama, he didn't hate the country. Right. He did not hate America, George Bush. He was stupid. He made a terrible, terrible, uh, you know, terrible president, but he didn't hate the country. Obama despises the country.
1: He may have done a couple things by executive order that were questionable, but Barack Obama time and time again keeps doing things by executive order. But I love this one part of it where he is talking about what Obama did with part of Obamacare. And – He says the the Obamacare law, I'm just quoting from this Wall Street Journal piece uh, by Ted Cruz, and the title of the piece, by the way, is called The Imperial Presidency of Barack Obama. Which
0: is what Mark Levin has been calling him for a while now.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and it says that the law, the Obamacare law says that businesses with 50 or more full-time employees will face the employer mandate on January 1st, 2014. But it didn't happen. Again, nope. quoting from Cruz here, President Obama changed that, granting a one-year waiver to employers. How did that. he do so? Not by going to Congress to change the text of the law, but through a blog post yeah. by an assistant secretary at Treasury announcing the change.
0: Also, as Amy, as Amy pointed out, he had a press conference the other day. He just made, you know, just law on the fly. Yeah. He said something. He, he declared something was. And therefore it is in the press conference yeah. Well, I decided to do this. Right, and that's it.
1: Yeah, who needs a pen when you can just have a press conference? It's just decree
0: Decree by press conference. Yeah. Decree by,
1: by press conference, by press conference. And, that, and that's how we do law. So he talks in here, of course, about the separation of powers, the idea that you're going to have all of the powers in one. Person that He has a, a quote here from Montesquieu who observed, quote, there can be no liberty where the legislative and executive powers are united in the same person or body of magistrates, end quote.
0: Obama operates as if uh, Congress is optional, as if the Senate is optional. You know, he might use them sometimes, but that's how he operates, which is what, how dictators operate.
1: Yeah, so I think this it, it is excellent for Cruz to keep pointing this out, and I don't care if his critics come back and say, "Oh, well, yeah, Bush well, did more." Sorry, I'm sure Cruz would come back and say, "Well, if Bush did more, then Bush is wrong too."
0: Well, you know, he challenged Bush also, you know, in the court of law. Ted Cruz, this is how consistent he is. But it's one thing for Mark Levin, a citizen radio host, to say, "Call an imperial president." It's another thing for a sitting senator, which is impressive to me. It's impressive to write a popular piece in Wall Street Journal, The Imperial Presidency of Barack Obama. It's very important. I love that he did it.
1: Yes, definitely good. And he points out quite, you know, rightfully, astutely, how would the Democrats feel if a Republican president similarly disregarded the law and said, oh, I've got a pen and a phone, let's go. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about this. Ed, who... Uh, follows this show, actually suggested this, so thanks, Ed, for having me read this. I know that he had a critique of it, which I'm sure that he would bring up right now if he was to call in and talk about the show, but maybe we can have a discussion about his critique of this piece over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com, because I do know that he did have a critique of Cruz's position here, but I'm, I'm very happy to have Cruz point out where Obama is going out of bounds with the use of his executive power. Whatever criticism
0: we have of Ted Cruz, he's a politician, but he's the best out there. He's the best out there, especially today.
1: He's the only one that gives me any hope in the world. Yeah. That's, that's definitely for sure. So we're nearing the end of the show now, and uh, maybe by now people in the chat room have looked... Oh, they said, look, the social network guy. Yes, yeah, Crastio. Right. You got it right. Crastio over he's, here on the uh, blog chat a room. He's a
0: small guy. He has like an afro. He's nerdy. He's very non-masculine. So for one thing, if they were thinking that they want someone to look at Superman and have absolute super envy for who he is, then the guy can do a hell of a job. If that's what they were thinking, I hope so, because he could play smart. You know, he definitely played uh, Zuckerberg pretty well. We'll see.
1: I'm glad you made peace with it, yeah. Bosh. No,
0: no. Only if if it's the kind of again, envious, hateful, evil Lex Luthor, and not just some businessman that somehow wants to save humanity from this alien then it's a whole different movie. If this game.
1: movie turns out to be good, you may have to eat some of your previous words, but we'll see. Well,
0: Ben Affleck is still Batman, so yeah, right there, it stinks. yeah,
1: but, yeah. You know. okay. Again, go to my blog, don'tletitgo.com, leave comments about today's show. You can also subscribe to the blog to follow and get all the updates about coming interviews and show topics and things like that. You can also support the show over there. All the donations that we get are definitely appreciated. So thank you for tuning in, everyone. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next week and Ladar Levison as well. I'm looking forward to that. Take care.